great to be able to worship together, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We're actually on the second half now of the season of Lent, the season of repentance. And as a church, we're focused on Psalm 51, David's famous psalm of repentance in response to his sins of adultery, murder, and abuse of his office as the appointed king of Israel. And the issue with David really isn't specific to him, because like David, we're all sinners in need of repentance and forgiveness to restore our relationship with God. And although repentance means that we're kind of coming from a dark place, it also means that we're turning back towards the light. So hopefully, as we work our way through this season of Lent, we see it as a time of encouragement and tremendous hope for us. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Psalm 51, where David is making 12 petitions. Here are the six that you see up on the screen that we covered last week from verses 7 through 9, and hopefully you can recall them. But of course, if you missed the sermon last week, you now know how to find it. You just go to the website and you can find the sermon. So that's why we do all of this, of course. So our text for today now includes verses 10 through 12. And it covers the remaining six petitions. So let me read them for you. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And just like last week, when you look at those, you can see that David is absolutely and utterly dependent upon God to answer those petitions. He's depending on God's abundant mercy and his steadfast love to free him from the bondage of sin. And that's the same place we find ourselves in. It's all because David knows that he serves a God who is able to save to heal, to deliver, and to restore anything that he wants to. So let's ask God's help, and then we'll unpack this together. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, grant us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So let's jump right in to petition number seven. Create in me a clean heart, O God. So we have two key words to focus on here. Create and heart. And we're going to do these in reverse order. The word for heart is lab, and it's used over a thousand times in Scripture to refer to the center from which all things flow. This term heart, in general, refers to our truest self, the place from where all we say and all we do emerges. It's why scripture says that we're to guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of life. So we should think about our hearts as a wellspring from which all things flow. And we see here in the text that David is asking God to create in him a clean heart. Now the word create here is the exact same first verb used in all of scripture. In the beginning, God created. So David is not looking for a renovation. He wants to start over. He's looking for an entirely new heart. And why do you think that is? 
It's because his heart is a dumpster fire. And he's already acknowledged that that fire, that sin inside of him, goes all the way back to his mother's womb. It's the same for all of us. Check out Genesis 6, just a few verses after the creation story. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every single thought was evil continually. That's that original sin that Cammie taught us about a couple weeks ago. And it applies to every single one of us. We all need to be reborn in this sense, to get a new heart focused on God instead of the heart that's focused on self. Also, just listen to what the prophet Jeremiah writes. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why we have to be so careful whenever we think we can trust someone's heart. Because in all honesty, we can't even trust our own hearts. It's also why it's bad theology when we hear someone say, I'm giving my heart to the Lord. Because he doesn't want that nasty thing. He wants to give us a clean heart. He's about renewing our heart, making us a new creation. And that's exactly what David is petitioning for. He knows his heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and he wants God to start over by giving him a new one. The eighth petition, renew a right spirit within me. Now, it's connected to the previous one by a comma for good reason, because it's a very close cousin. David first asks for a new heart from God, to be a one-time new creation. But this second petition, renew a right spirit within me, acknowledges his spirit will need this constant renewing. Now, the word renewal means to polish as with a tarnished shield, to maintain it as if it was as good as new. David's transgressions, his iniquities, and his sins have created a set of circumstances that have tarnished his spirit. And he knows that even after he receives a new heart, he's going to have to continue to have it repolished and renewed. Future circumstances are likely to result in the same downtrodden, tarnished spirit that he has. So to hedge against this, this idea that future circumstances will tarnish his new heart, David asks God to continually renew or polish it, to keep it as good as if it were new. And this is such a great teaching point for all of us today. Because usually, when we don't like our circumstances, we want them to be changed. We want to make them go away. Our boss, he just doesn't get it. Our neighbors, they're so annoying. Our friends, they can't be trusted for anything. If I just had a different boss, different neighbors, different friends. But we learn right here in Psalm 51 a truth that David has learned, that our spirits won't be renewed by changing our circumstances. Our spirits can only be renewed by asking God to polish us up like David did. And I know how tempting it is to focus on our circumstances. I do it too. But it's not our circumstances. It's not our boss. It's not our neighbors. It isn't our friends. It isn't our surroundings. We're the ones that need to be fixed. We need a clean heart. We need a new one. 
but we also need to have our spirits continually renewed within us. The ninth petition, cast me not away from your presence. Now this one is made in earnest because God's presence is absolutely everything. David cries out, don't throw me away, don't toss me out, God, as if it's his greatest fear, as it should be. I hope all of us have felt that same despair at the thought of being tossed from God's presence. God's presence has been with David since Samuel anointed him at a very young age to be Saul's successor. And it was God's presence that allowed David to salute the, the giant Goliath. It was also what allowed David to be so victorious in battle and to avoid the many assassination attempts by King Saul. And he also knew what happened whenever the Holy Spirit was taken away or God's presence was taken away from King Saul. David couldn't bear the thought. Now, when we step back and we view the Bible as a whole, God's presence is perhaps the most dominant theme throughout all of Scripture. Because Scripture tells us the story of God's presence lost, His presence promised, His presence realized, and then His presence secured. Now to see this, we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they're living in full communion with God's presence in the garden, kind of denoted up there by that star. They hear God's voice. They speak with Him. Can you even imagine what that must be like to be in God's presence like that? But of course, when they sin, God tosses them from the garden, and that's God's presence lost. But because God is merciful, that's His nature as we've been discussing, He promises to restore His presence. And God does that through five major covenants or promises that He makes with man. We see it first with Noah. The world was wicked and full of sinful people, so God wipes them all out except Noah and his family. And then God makes his first major covenant or promise with Noah that he would never again flood the earth to eradicate evil. There'd be another way that God would deal with sin, and the plan would become more clear in the second covenant the one God made with Abraham, where he promises to make him the father of his people and to give him this abundant land. And then God chose Moses and made his third major covenant with him, where God promised to be with Moses as he led God's people out of captivity and into the land that God had promised to Abraham. And indeed, God was with Moses and the nation Israel in the form of a cloud of smoke, a pillar of fire, and the Ark of the Covenant. But this was only a taste of God's presence because they still didn't enjoy it like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And then came the time of kings, and God chose David to make his fourth major covenant with. As we've learned, David was not a perfect man, but God actually says he was a man after his own heart. And God promised that one of David's descendants would be the Messiah, the one who was sent to save God's people, where God would forgive their sins and remember them no more. And then this fifth and final major promise, or covenant that God made with man, prophets 
such as Jeremiah and Isaiah began to speak of a new covenant, one written on the hearts of God's people. And then all these promises of God's presence from the Old Testament are finally realized in the person of His Son, Jesus, fully God and fully man. God the Son, now physically present with His people, sent to save them by becoming the sacrifice for their sins, ushering in this new covenant and fulfillment of all God's promises to restore His presence. And then in the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and His resurrection, Jesus proclaims the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence now secured in the very hearts of those who place their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, where believers have access to God by the Holy Spirit that lives within them, just like God had promised throughout the prophets. And the Holy Spirit would then be about the business of sanctifying believers, making them more Christ-like each day, until that day when God's people are once again restored to the fullness of communion with God in heaven. And that's the story of our faith contained in the pages of God's holy word, God's plan to restore his presence. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit is a huge deal, and David addresses him specifically in this 10th petition. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So let's begin by distinguishing the different roles that the Holy Spirit played in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit kind of came and went. He didn't indwell people. He came on them for a period of time and for a specific purpose. The Holy Spirit instructed the prophets to convey messages to leaders throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit inspired those who composed Scripture. And the Holy Spirit also came upon certain leaders, such as King Saul and Samson, to aid them in achieving God's purposes. But then he left again, especially in the face of disobedience, as was Saul, which was David's greatest fear. In the New Testament, however, the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation by indwelling God's people. He is God's presence secured. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is what leads to a repentant heart in the first place. And then upon repentance and placing one's faith in Jesus, all believers receive that clean heart, a brand new one, like David was asking for. They're born again into a new life in Christ, and at that very moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit also indwells all believers, signing and sealing them as God's new creation in Christ, God's presence secured. And as Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the work that the Holy Spirit began in us when he first called us to repentance and faith in Christ will be brought to completion on that day of our salvation by his sanctifying work. And this is the most important part here. So you see, the Holy Spirit can no longer be taken away, meaning God's presence is secured within us. And of course, this 11th petition is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now this one is all about how we experience God, which is another really important point for us to consider. 
we tend to operate at two extremes in our faith. Either we make it all about our knowledge of God, or we make it all about our perceived experience with Him. But we actually need a balance of both. We need our faith to be firmly planted in the foundation of the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. But we also need to experience the joy of His presence, His salvation, His mercy, His grace, and His love. So in this 11th petition, David wants to experience this joy, and the word restore suggests it's been absent of late. You see, David had learned a pretty tough lesson that all of us hopefully have learned too by now, that there isn't nearly as much joy indulging in the sins of this world as there is joy in the Father's house. And I'm not really kind of talking about the joy that we might experience whenever we receive one of those well-timed texts, one of those texts that arrives at just the right moment with just the right emoji to bring us that unexpected shot of happiness. I'm not even talking about the kind of happiness we might feel at a family event where everyone's sitting around a living room and laughing. Those are all wonderful, but there's an even greater joy that we all long to experience. It's the kind of joy that comes with knowing that everything is going to be all right in the end. It's joy in salvation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a new life in Christ, and we can experience true joy in the assurance of our salvation. We can all be assured of that. Have you experienced the joy that comes from knowing that we're going to be in God's presence for all eternity? No matter what happens to us here on earth, that's the kind of joy and salvation that David was looking for. Perhaps think of it another way. The sun is always up there shining, rises every morning, sets every evening. It's constant, immutable, inexhaustible. But some days, like today, the clouds thicken and we can't see or feel its warmth. And in Western Pennsylvania, that can go on for months. It's a metaphor for this spiritual fog that tends to build up in our lives. It's often a result of our sin, maybe an illness that we're working our way through. Sometimes it's suffering that we just can't seem to get away from. Spiritual attacks that never seem to end. Maybe it's the side effects of the digital age where you just can't find a quiet moment. Perhaps it's just watching too much news or being too much involved in social media because it all just tends to amass in these thick layers and it clouds our joy. What kind of cloud cover are each of us living under this morning? When David prays, his cloud is thick and it's dark and he wants to experience the pure joy of the sun's warmth once again. David wants the real joy that only comes from God and his salvation. Only God can burn through those thick, dark clouds in our lives. And finally, the twelfth petition. Uphold me with a willing spirit. In this case, the word spirit speaks to David's spirit. More specifically, a spirit willfully desiring to live in obedience to God. David doesn't want to find himself back in that situation ever again where he is far from God. And the word uphold means to support or rest in. David wants to rest in God, for God to support his spirit. I know in times when I find myself where David is, 
I often envision myself in the palm of God's hands. It brings tremendous peace and joy, being supported by Him, resting in Him, and being upheld by Him. But of course, a willing spirit can only come from God, which is why David makes this petition. It involves both knowing His truth and experiencing the joy of living in it. Hopefully by now, we all know by experience that obedience is good for us. It's how we demonstrate our love for God. But hopefully we also know by experience that we need God's help to have a willing and obedient spirit. So I want to conclude by stepping back and noticing how David's petitions foreshadow the gospel message. We're going to close with this. Because we actually see this all throughout the Old Testament. It is all pointing towards this New Testament gospel message. We spent a lot of time with this graphic over the past few months as we worked our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And that's because it captures the main points of the gospel message. It's the same message that David clearly yearned for in these petitions. Check this out. The seventh petition, create in me a clean heart. In other words, recreate me, start over. David wants to be born again. That's what that red drop of Christ's blood is all about up there, being justified, being made right before God. The eighth petition, renew a right spirit within me. Once again, David, he knows he's going to need this constant renewing. That's what being sanctified is all about, being made more Christ-like day by day by the work of the Holy Spirit. The ninth petition, cast me not away from your presence. David needs God. He is fully dependent upon him. Our sinful nature means we simply cannot be justified or sanctified on our own. We need God's help. The tenth petition, take not your Holy Spirit from me. David needs God's presence within him, always. And that's exactly what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us, seals God's presence forever. The eleventh petition, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David wants to experience God's joy again. When we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, he walks us down that narrow, well-lighted path, always pointing us to Jesus, our joy. And the twelfth petition, uphold me with a willing spirit. David never wants to return to that dark, wide path that's headed for destruction. David longs to be upheld by the Holy Spirit who calls us to obedience counseling us in the knowledge of truth and convicting and comforting us in the experience of truth, calling us in obedience, in love to Christ. Until that day, when we stand before God's throne, declared perfectly righteous by Christ's blood alone, and we enter into God's glory, glorified and restored once again in full communion with our Creator and King in God's presence for all eternity. That is David's prayer, and that is our prayer too. Father, we thank you for your word today. Would you convict us, counsel us, comfort us by the power of your Holy Spirit as to how you want this truth applied to each of our lives today? Father, may we abide in your presence, not only today, but for the remaining days of our lives and for all eternity. 
Lord, we ask that you would roll those stones away in our lives to prevent us from a deeper dependence on you each day. May we seek your face. For Jesus' sake, amen. 